Lord, thank you for our privilege to be able to come together on a Wednesday night. Lord, as we were praying earlier, I don't ever, ever, ever want to take this for granted because I realize we have brothers and sisters all over the world that don't have the opportunity, don't have the privilege of being able to come together out in the open and not, not to fear what's going to happen to them. And here we are in America. We have this opportunity, and oftentimes uh, we tend to take it for granted or we don't even uh, take advantage of the situation. So, Lord, thank you. Lord, I thank you for the tithes and the offerings that are given into the storehouse and that we're able to continue this ministry and uh, the ministry that continues to grow. Lord, help us to be able to use all those resources uh, for the kingdom and for spreading the gospel here in the Seacoast area. And Lord, I do ask a blessing tonight on the message. Certainly Ezekiel has been challenging as we continue to go through it. But for those that know Ezekiel, it's not that long. We'll get to 36 and 37, and uh, that's a lot more fun to read and to, to talk about. But Lord, I do ask tonight that you would be here and that you would get me out of the way and that the message that you have for each of us would, would come through loud and clear. Lord, speak to our hearts. Change our lives. Make us better people uh, as we walk with you and as we uh, walk in front of the world. Lord, for all that you do, we're going to praise you for Jesus' sake. Amen. So we're going to be doing Ezekiel 22 tonight. If you've been here or if you've listened online, you know that uh, some of the chapters of Ezekiel have been a little bit tough uh, to go through. I personally think uh, Jeremy has done an outstanding job in going through where we're at in Ezekiel. But chapter 22 is unique in that finally we get to a chapter that offers us some hope. So instead of all the doom and gloom and how bad uh, the people of Jerusalem are, which is what we've been reading all along, uh, finally in chapter 22, uh, we get a little bit of hope. Um, if you remember, uh, chapter 19 and 20 uh, both of them were lists of the things that the people of Jerusalem, that, that, what the Lord had against the people in Jerusalem, the things they weren't doing, or in some cases, the things they were, were doing. And then chapter 21 was kind of funny, because although I thought 19 and 20 were pretty clear, uh, the people of Jerusalem said, we don't understand what you're saying. We don't get it. Uh, you speak in parables. You're not real clear. We don't understand. And so what did he have Ezekiel do? Turn around and say it differently in chapter 21. And you know, I wondered when, uh, when Jeremy first brought that up, I wondered for us uh, and maybe for them, is it possible that really they did get it, but they didn't want to get it? that they knew the problems that they were having. They knew the things that they weren't doing right. They knew the things that they were doing wrong, but they didn't want to hear it. I don't know about you guys, but you know, I got to be honest and say, sometimes that's me. Um, I won't go into a long story, and I know you, Ali said that I'm going to tell a lot of stories, and I'm not. But the way I came to New England was because God spoke to my heart. Uh, I was living in Alabama. I'm from upstate New York, so I understand winter. Uh, I was living in Alabama. Winter in Alabama is absolutely wonderful. I, 
you don't own a snowblower or a shovel. It's just absolutely wonderful. If it gets down below 32 degrees, everybody complains about how cold it is. It is fantastic. And God spoke to my heart and spoke to my heart about coming to New England. You know what? I, I didn't really want to hear it. I really, really didn't. And so maybe I was kind of like the people of Jerusalem uh, in, that day where I was saying, yeah, no, I don't really understand, Lord, what you're trying to say, hoping that he would either forget it or maybe change the message and say, oh, I meant Hawaii, which would have been really great, uh, but he didn't. But no, can't we be that way just like the children of Israel were? Um, I, I believe I can. I know I can. And I believe we all can be where God speaks to us and we don't necessarily always want to hear uh, what he says. Um, and so sometimes I think I say, oh, Lord, you speak in riddles, and I don't really clearly understand. Could you tell me again? Um, and that's what happened in uh, chapter 21. So uh, we get to chapter 22, which is great because there's actually some hope. Let's read uh, Ezekiel chapter 22, if you will. We're going to read uh, verses 1 through 16. That's a big chunk. But we're going to read 1 through 16 all at the same time, uh, all, all at once here. Um, 22 verses 1 through 16 goes as follows, if I can get my page to turn back. One little page. Now this message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, are you ready to judge Jerusalem? Maybe since it's on the screen, I don't know what you guys read. I was reading the, the New Living Translation. I love that translation. Let me start again with the New King James Version because that's probably what's up on the screen. Moreover, the word, word, yeah, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Now, son of man, will you judge? Will you judge this bloody city? Yes, show her all her abominations. Then say, thus says the Lord God, the city sheds blood, in its own mist, and her time may come and she may make idols within herself to defile herself. You have become guilty by the blood which you have shed and have defiled yourself with the idols which you have made. You have caused your days to draw near. You have come to the end of your years. Therefore, I have made you a reproach to the nations, a mockery to all countries. Those near and those far from you will mock you as infamous and full of turmoil. Look, the princes of Israel. By the way, when you see the princes of Israel, you might want to say uh, political leaders. Um, you might find that some of this uh, uh, parallel is pretty close to where we are in the world today, particularly in America. But look, the princes of Israel. Each one of, uh, has used his power to shed blood in you. In you, they have made light of father and mother. In your midst, they have oppressed the stranger. In you, they have mistreated the fatherless and the widow. You have despised my holy things and profaned my Sabbaths. In you are men who slander to cause bloodshed. In you are those who uh, eat on the mountains. In the midst, they, call, they commit lewdness. In you, men uncover their father's nakedness. In you, they violate women who are set apart during their impurity. One commits abomination with his neighbor's wife. Another lewdly defiles his daughter-in-law. 
and another in you violates his sister, his father's daughter. In you they take bribes or shed blood. You take usury and increase. You have made profit from your neighbors by extortion and have forgotten me, says the Lord God. Behold, therefore, I beat my fist at the dishonest profits that you have made and at the bloodshed which has been in your midst. Can your heart endure? Or can your hands remain strong in the days that I shall deal with you? I, the Lord, have spoken and will do it. I will scatter you among nations, disperse you throughout countries, and remove your filthiness completely from you. You shall defile yourself in the sight of the nations. Then you shall know that I am Lord. Sounds like hope, right? (laughs) Sounds like hope. But here's the Lord again saying some of the same things he said before, over and over and over again, trying to get the message to Jerusalem. And as I read that, doesn't some of that sound a little bit like America today? I can't speak for the whole world because obviously I live in America, but certainly for us, doesn't some of that sound like us uh, today? In the middle of that, Ezekiel prophesied that the Jews, the Jews in Jerusalem, would be scattered throughout the world and that they would be dishonored and infamous throughout the world. And we know that that certainly happened. Even though they've come back together in in, uh, uh, Israel today, there's still many Jews that are scattered throughout. And still throughout the world, the Jews are downcast, are talked about, are disliked. Uh, And you may say, well, that only happens in Arab countries, and that's not really true because it happens here in America. It happens in Canada. It happens in other countries, just a little bit more defined or a little bit more visual in the Arab countries. But what Ezekiel prophesied uh, actually has come about. However, where there's hope is we have the long view. Instead of looking at just that one period of time um, from when Ezekiel predicted it until today, we can look at the long view. In the long view, what happens to to the children of Israel, the the Jews, the the children of God? Well, we know in Revelation, there's a, a tremendous revival that happens, and they come back by literally the hundreds of thousands back and accept Christ as the Messiah. They come back to God and they correct all of those things that that, that uh, happened. So although we can look at the short view where Ezekiel was, we can look at the mid-range view, which would be from then until now, and see what's happened to the Jews and be discouraged. Or we can look through the book of Revelation and see the long view and realize that in fact, there is still hope for this group of people, even though they defiled and and were against the Lord over and over and over again, um, kind of sounds like you and me, right? Even though they continued to break break uh, the laws, continued to go against what the Lord had commanded, what He had He had asked them to do, even though they did, looking at this list, some pretty horrific things. Still, there's hope that in the end. God's going to bring them all back together and bring them to himself. Here's what what Ezekiel listed about Jerusalem. They were murderous. They they were committing murders. What's the murder rate look like in the United States right now? They were disrespectful of parents. 
Uh, I don't need to say anything more. They had no or were void of compassion for the poor. Uh, They despised the things of God. Boy, look around today in America. They enjoyed uh, immorality. They had no integrity, especially in financial things, they had no integrity. And for the most part, they had forgotten God. Again, look at it for for us, for America. Um, Haven't haven't we done the same thing? God also went on to say that uh, Jerusalem, for the most part, you have completely forgotten me. You're corrupt in all of your practices. You're immoral in your activities. And then he ended by saying, I will destroy you, not to harm you, but to correct you. You know, oftentimes, particularly the Old Testament, gets a, a bad rap because if we do look at just the stories that are in the, in the Old Testament, we could get the opinion that God is some kind of meanie up in heaven with a two-by-four just waiting for the opportunity to slap his people down, right? We could get that by looking at just that, 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 that short view. It also, it reminds me of... And I know my second daughter isn't listening, so I'm going to talk about my second daughter. My second daughter, my first daughter was like Posey. Everybody know Posey? Posey is a wonderful child. I don't think that kid ever cries. I don't think, in fact, I don't know that that kid ever messes her diaper. I mean, she is just a sweetheart. My oldest daughter was that way. My second daughter, yeah, not so much. Um, uh, To give you a great example, she kept probably the most horrible bedroom you have ever seen in your life. I mean, you just you can only just imagine. You know, first of all, she would sneak food in there, half-eaten, wrappers and stuff, clothes, dirty clothes, clean clothes all mixed together, bed on, I mean, it was just a disaster, right? That was my daughter. Um, and so every so often it would come to a point where I needed to do something about it. So I would start first by talking to her about it. Christina, we really got to do something about this room. We really need to, let's start cleaning up. And then I'd start giving her deadlines. You got to do it by Friday. You got to do this. And then it would start to be more threatening. If you don't do it, you're going to get a spanking. Yes, I spanked my kids. Um, um, and, and more and more threats. Um, and eventually it would come to the point where I would try to force her to do it. It was it was funny, and I'd best do my best not to laugh while it was happening, but I would grab her little hands, you know, she was probably 10, 11 years old at this point, and try to put her hands together and pick stuff up and put in the wastebasket, and boy, she would fight me, and if I get in the wastebasket, she'd kick the wastebasket over. I mean, she was just that kind of kid, right? Um, and so eventually, this got to the point where I had to follow through, and I had to spank her. Now, if you were, came into the house during that period of time when I was threatening her and trying to get her to do it, you might look at me and say, I don't know about that guy. He's not much of a loving father. He's constantly on Christine. That's all he ever does to talk to her about cleaning her room. And then if you saw me when I was spanking her, you would definitely think, yeah, he's not a very loving father at all. But If you take the long view and look at her now, she's 46 years old, and look at her now and see the person that she has become and how she keeps her own house now, you would rightly conclude, you must have been a loving father because you trained her, helped her, guided her, corrected her to make her into the person that she is today. 
And that's what God's doing, right? If you look at the, if I look at the individual instances when I do something that's kind of stupid, which I do more than I would like to admit, and God corrects me and chides me, if you were listening in on that conversation, you might conclude, well, God's kind of rough on Steve. And by the way, I'd probably ask for your sympathy along the way, right? Uh, at least give me a shoulder, Dave, to cry on. Uh, but you could conclude that. But if you look at the long term of what God's been doing in my life and the changes he's made, you would rightly conclude God actually loves Steve and he's actually turning him into an almost decent human being. Uh, we have a Tuesday night men's study. Um, and last night after the study, a, a, a bunch of us were standing around talking and praying with each other. Um, and that was the point that we came to was that if you look at the individual day, or even if you look at individual week, or maybe even an individual month, it doesn't look like that we're gaining much ground, that, that we're growing too much. But if I look back since 1989, I was saved on March 19th, 1989, by the way, if you want, about 9 o'clock at night. If I look from that point until today, I can see tremendous growth, tremendous change, and I can see what God's been doing that whole time with, with my life. That's what he's doing with Jerusalem at, at that point. Um, again, if I go back and look at all the things that, that uh, Ezekiel said about Jerusalem, we could say the same things about America. Murderers. Uh, what's the murder rate? In, in, how many murders happen um, in the United States every year? It's a shocking number, right? Thousands and thousands of people are murdered uh, each and every year. Um, disrespectful, particularly disrespectful of each other, or I don't care which, which side of the aisle you uh, line up with, it's become okay to be disrespectful of the others. If you're a Republican, it's okay to be disrespectful of the Democrats. And if you're a Democrat, it's okay to be disrespectful of the Republicans. And if you're independent, good news, you can be disrespectful of everybody, right? Isn't that America today? Yeah, it certainly is. Uh, no compassion uh, goes right along with it. Uh, despising the things of God. Well, we don't have to look too far to, to see that. Uh, enjoy immorality. Uh, immorality is at an all-time high in America, uh, and certainly it seems to be something that uh, we enjoy. No integrity, and we've certainly forgotten God. Now, you know, It'd be easy for us to sit here and say, it's all them, it's all them, it's all them. It's easy for me to say that it's all them or it's all you guys, right? It's easy to point fingers. Um, uh, I don't know if any of you ever heard Tony Evans. Tony Evans is a phenomenal teacher, phenomenal teacher. Uh, I was at a um, men's conference back in the days when they did Promise Keepers, and Tony Evans made this point. Would we all agree that our world is messed up? Is there anybody that would disagree with that statement? Our world is pretty messed up. Do you know why our, our world is messed up, Maya? It's because the United States is messed up. And Isaac would tell you the reason why the United States is messed up is because New Hampshire's messed up. And Debbie would agree that New Hampshire's messed up because Rockingham County is messed up. Um, and we could all say, well, yeah, Rockingham County's messed up because Dover's messed up. And Dover's messed up because my house is messed up. 
And my house is messed up because guess what? I'm messed up. And so we look at all this, if I can fix myself with God's help, if I can get myself, maybe not all cleaned up, but on the right path towards being cleaned up, then my family will be not so messed up. And if my family's not so messed up, you know what? My town's not going to be so messed up. And if my town's not so messed up, there's hope for my county. And if there's hope for my county, there's hope even for New Hampshire. And if there's hope for New Hampshire, there's hope for the United States. And if there's hope for the United States, thank the Lord, there's, there's hope for the whole world. My point is, and this is what Ezekiel was trying to tell, what God was trying to say through Ezekiel, is that look at each individual person. Look at yourself. Look at your family. Don't look outside. Look inside. And that's the same thing that, that I have to do regularly is look inside and look at, at myself. Let's read, since we got so much hope out of that, let's read 17 through 29. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, the house of Israel has become dross to me. They are all bronze, tin, iron, and lead. In the midst of a furnace, they have become dross from silver, or if you will, the sledge, uh, the, the dirt, the leftover from silver. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have all become dross, therefore I will gather you in the midst of Jerusalem, just as men gather silver, bronze, lead, iron, steel, and tin into the midst of the furnace, I will blow fire on it and melt it. So I will gather you in my anger and in my fury, and I will leave you there and melt you. Yes, I will gather you and blow on you with fire of my wrath. And you shall be melted in the midst, as silver is melted in the midst of a furnace. So shall you be melted in its midst. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have poured out my fury on you. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, say to her, You are a land that is not cleansed or rained on in the day. The conspiracy of her prophets in her midst is like a roaring lion tearing apart the prey. They have devoured people. They have taken treasure and precious things. They have made many widows in her midst. Her priests, or if you will, religious leaders, evangelists, preachers, whatever you want to call them, have violated my law and preferred my holy, uh, profaned my holy things, and they have not distinguished between the holy and the unholy. Nor have they made known the difference between the unclean and the clean. They have hidden their eyes from my Sabbath, so that I am profaned among them. Her princes, again, political leaders, have been. Her prophets, back to the preachers now, plastered them with untempered mortar, seeing false visions and divining lies for them, saying, Thus says the Lord God, when the Lord has not spoken to them. The people of the land have used oppression, committed robbery, mistreated the poor needy, and they have wrongly oppressed the stranger. Again, is that not like where we're at today? Isn't that like the political leaders of today? And worse, 
You start looking across the church, and isn't that true where we're at today with the church? Not with all churches, but there are some uh, who have taken lies and told them as truth, taken truth and ignored it, um, that have said, this is what the Lord said, when in fact, maybe the Lord didn't really say that at all, um, but they've completely defiled what the Lord has for them. So my point then is, isn't, that's, uh, I'm going to pick just on the United States, isn't America just exactly in a similar position to where Jerusalem was at that particular point? I think when I look across America, uh, I think all of us when we look across America can be scared for where we're headed um, and what may be happening to us in the future. I think we all know, you look in the book of Revelation, and there's one country that is omitted, um, that's not there, and that's America. Is it possible that it's because of our similarity to, to, to what Ezekiel told them about Jerusalem? Is it possible that because of our similarity, that we're heading in that same path that, that the Lord had set up for Jerusalem, that America's heading in that same direction? I don't know, but I, I suppose that that's possible. So now you're saying to yourself, okay, Steve, didn't you start out by saying that chapter 22 was a chapter of hope? And it is. So far, we're at, at verse 29. Doesn't seem like a lot of hope in there, right, Jonathan? Doesn't seem like a lot at all. But there is hope. Let's look at verse 30. Verse 30 is where the hope starts. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall, who would stand in the gap, or in some versions it says, stand in the breach, before me on behalf of the land, and I shall not destroy it. So in the middle of all of that, God's saying, all I'm looking for is one person. If I had just one person who'd be willing to stand in the gap, who'd be willing to stand in the breach, or in the New King James, it says to build a wall. One person, I wouldn't destroy it. What does that mean, by the way? What does it mean to stand in the gap? What does it mean to stand in the breach? What is God talking about? Well, it's actually happened a number of times, or a couple of times already in the Old Testament. Uh, turn with me uh, back. We want to go to uh, uh, Psalms, uh, chapter 106. Verses 19 through 23. So if you want to go to Psalm 106, verses 19 through 23, we have an explanation there of when, in fact, standing in the gap, standing in the breach actually happened. Starting with verse 19, 19 through 23. They made a calf in Horek and worshipped the golden image. Thus, they changed their glory into the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God, their savior, who had done great things for them in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, awesome things by the Red Sea. Therefore, he, God, said that he would destroy them. Same place where Jerusalem is at, right? Had not Moses, his chosen one, stood before him and stood in the breach, to turn away his wrath, lest he destroy them. So 
that those verses in Psalms actually talking about a, a situation that happened in Exodus that we probably all remember, right? Uh, children of Israel wandering around the wilderness came to Mount Sinai. Moses went up to get the tablets. While he was up there, for whatever reason, and it's kind of amazing when you think about it. I mean, I don't know how long he was up in the mountain, but it couldn't have been years. I doubt it was months. It was probably more like weeks. But while he was up in the mountain, uh, all the children of Israel decided, you know what? I kind of forgot that God opened up the Red Sea and brought us. I kind of forgot that God brought us out of Egypt. I kind of forgot all these things that God has done. We were wandering in the wilderness and we were thirsty and Moses struck a rock and God opened up the rock and we had water. I kind of forgot all that. I kind of forgot God. You know what we need? We need a golden calf. So they took all of their rings, all their jewelry, gave it to Aaron. It was melted down. I don't know how he did this. Uh, I don't know what kind of tools he used, but he fashioned a calf. And they, if you read in Exodus, read the account there, they then started to worship the calf and they got so worked up that they started to dance around the calf. And literally in Exodus, it says, they removed all of their clothes dancing around this calf because they forgot God. And if you read in Exodus, God is, I mean, in Psalms, it says that he's upset. But in Exodus, you really get the picture he's upset because here's what he told Moses. I'm gonna wipe them out. That's it, I'm done. We're gonna kill every last one of them and I'm gonna raise up a new nation. And this is now gonna be called the nation of Moses. And you're gonna be the head guy. We're gonna start all over again. That, I mean, that's where the Lord was at. The Lord was ticked off. Uh, that Not only that they had forgotten him, but upset that they had turned in a very short period of time from serving him to serving a calf that Aaron made with his hands. And so he literally told Moses, I'm killing every last one of them. And you're gonna start a new nation. We're gonna start this all over again. So kind of like, almost like, Noah, uh, Ark, and the Flood sort of thing all over. Put yourself in uh, Moses' shoe. I don't, maybe you guys are better than I, right? So I can only talk about myself. Think about, I think about if I was Moses and God said, Steve, we're going to wipe out everybody in the earth, but don't worry, we're going to repopulate it and you're going to be king. And from here on out, it's not going to be called earth. It's going to be called Steve's Habitat. And you are going to be in charge. You know, I got to think for at least a microsecond, maybe longer, Moses would have said, yeah, you know what? I'm sick and tired of these people too. I mean, man, they just don't listen. They wander around and they complain. And oh, man, I'm, you know what? This would be a good idea. Let's wipe them out and start all over again. But instead, what Moses did is he went to the Lord immediately and said, no, 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 Lord, you can't do this. You made a promise to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, and all the people of the world know that you made this promise. You can't do this to them because you promised that you would protect them. You promised that you would be their God. You promised that Abraham's seed would be so numerous that it would be uh, more, uh, more people than there are stars in the heavens or, or sand, grains of sand on the, on the beach. Moses went to him and said, you can't do it. 
You just simply can't do it. And if you feel like you must, then take, the, take your anger out on me and destroy me. Not them. Destroy me. That's what standing in the gap, that's what standing in the, beach, in the breach meant at that particular time. And that's what Ezekiel is referring to here was that kind of a person who was willing to say, God, you can't destroy Jerusalem. You can't. They're part of, of your children. They're part of Abraham's seed. They're part of, uh, of the, the descendants of Isaac and Jacob. You can't do that. And if, you're not, if you must take your anger out on somebody, then take it out on me, not on them. And look what God said in verse 30. If I find just one, he didn't say, I need 10%. I need 50 I need a couple of hundred. He said, if I have just one person, one person in Jerusalem who is willing to stand up and say, Lord, don't take your anger out on them. Take your anger out on me if you must, but save them, protect them. He said, I won't destroy them. Unfortunately, what happened in verses, the rest of uh, 30 and 31, let's, let's read it, uh, what happened. I'm going to go back and read uh, 30 again. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land, and I should not destroy it, but I found none. I found no one. Therefore, I have poured out my indignation on them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath, and I have recompensed their deeds on their own heads, says the Lord God. Isn't it sad that God is asking for one person to stand in the gap, one person, and look throughout all of Jerusalem? I don't know how many people were left in Jerusalem. We know that there were uh, two sieges, uh, uh, two, two times that captives were taken, so it wasn't as large as it had been. But... In fact, there were still people there. And isn't sad however many people there were that he couldn't find one that was willing to stand in the gap. Not even one. And so as a result, he did pour his anger out. Well, do you see the hope yet? Do you see the hope? When I was reading this and, and, and praying over it and thinking about it, I... I can't say that the Lord spoke that I heard it in my ears. I don't even know that I heard it in my heart. But here's what I really felt was the Lord saying, Steve, are you willing? I only need one person to save all of America. Only one person. Are you willing? And I prayed about it. You know what? Kind of like the people of, of Jerusalem, I really wish I'd kind of misunderstood what he said. I really kind of wished that I could say, God, you're not really clear. What are you trying to tell me anyway? Uh, and try to get beyond it. But it was pretty clear. God asked, Steve, are, are you willing? Would you stand in the gap? And my answer is yes. I am willing. I don't know what that means. I, I don't know whether that just means that I continue to pray for Great Bay Calvary, continue to pray for Dover and the Seacoast area, 
Pray for New Hampshire, pray for the United States, pray for the world, pray for my family that doesn't know uh, the Lord, uh, pray for my friends. I don't know what this means, but I can tell you this, that my answer is yes. I'm willing to stand in the gap, whatever that means. Um, he'll reveal it as time goes along, and I'm telling you here in front of everybody and whoever's listening online that I am willing to do whatever God asks for the sake of Great Bay Calvary, the sake of Dover, the sake of the Seacoast area, the sake of New Hampshire, the sake of America. I think uh, me trying to say that uh, the world may be uh, way, way too much, but I am willing. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the hope for America. The hope is that there are still men and women who are willing. There's still men and women who are seriously concerned about America. And they can see the destructive path that America seems to be on. And none of us, none of us are thrilled about it. And Lord, there's still men and women who are willing to stand up and say, Count me in, Lord. I don't know what it, what it is. I don't know what you've got in mind. I don't know what it's going to entail. But it doesn't matter. Count me in. I'm yours. And I am willing to stand in the gap. I don't want America to be like Jerusalem, where God could not find even one person, and as a result, it was destroyed. Lord, this is my homeland. This is my state. The seacoast is my area. These are my people. And Lord, my desire, my heart's desire, is that each and every person in the seacoast, each and every person in New Hampshire, each and every person in America would come to know you. And I know that's your heart. You made it very clear. Uh, John 3, 17 uh, tells us very clearly that it's your desire that every person would come to a, a knowledge of salvation through Christ. And so, Lord, I'm willing. I'm here, Lord, whatever you need done, whatever that is. Lord, and I may kick and scream a little bit. I'm kind of a child at, that, at times, and I may throw a tantrum, but it doesn't matter, Lord. Keep on working on my heart. Keep on pricking away. Keep on talking to, to my, my soul. And Lord, tell me what it is that I need to do. Whatever that is, Lord, count me in as being willing to stand in the gap. Lord, thank you for our privilege to be able to read Ezekiel 22. Our privilege to be able to see what your heart was to those that were disrespectful, to those that no longer followed your ways. And even though, Lord, you destroyed uh, Jerusalem and they were completely taken in captivity, yet, Lord, the hope is that still today your heart is after your people. And we know from reading through Revelation that there's a great revival coming when your children will be brought back. And they will recognize who you are. 
and they will recognize Christ as the Messiah. Lord, help each and every one of us as we go forward, as we leave this place. Help us, Lord, to be a light shining bright in the darkness. And Lord, it certainly seems like uh, here in the United States, it's getting spiritually darker and darker and darker. But the good news is, a candle shines brightly in the darkness and, and uh, lights up the corners and lights up all of the area. So help us, Lord, to each one to be a candle shining bright. Guide and direct us, and in all that you do, we're going to praise you. You're certainly worthy of all of our praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, and good night. <laughs>